Welcome back to the fifth episode of Shattered Radiance. So today we're going to be talking uh, to Zach Treffler, who is a student at University of Toronto, and uh, he has been doing some very interesting work using generative adversarial networks for voice print identification. So um, I know him from the Canada-wide science fair back in 2018, and uh, that's where I, uh, I learned about his project. So I guess, Zach, could you introduce yourself a little bit? Um, yeah, sure. So I'm, I just finished my first year at the University of Toronto. Uh, like Brendan said, I'm studying um, computer science and physics. Uh, I started programming uh, about nine years ago. And so I got into AI when I wanted to do programming projects that were sort of more involved in data analysis. Okay, thanks for the introduction, Zach, and thanks for coming on our show. So we're going to be talking a bit about uh, generative adversarial networks. So would you mind giving a quick introduction to the listeners of what a GAN is and uh, how, how they work in basic terms? Uh, yeah, sure. So the basic idea of a GAN uh, is you want a, a machine learning setup uh, based on neural networks that can generate data. Uh, and so the, um, the, the idea is you, you make two models, one's called a generator and one's called a discriminator, uh, and you sort of ha uh, you put them against each other in a tug of war. So without really saying exactly what you want, uh, you tell the generator to make stuff data of whatever kind, you tell the discriminator uh, to figure out whether it's uh, real or fake. Um, and so let's say you're trying to generate, I don't know, images of birds. And so initially from the generator, you're going to get a bunch of noise coming out because it's completely untrained. So into the discriminator is going to go some real images of birds and some noise, and they're so different that very quickly the discriminator will learn to distinguish noise from birds. But then uh, you tell the generator it did a bad job, so try something else. And very slowly it, uh, it, it'll learn to produce better and better birds. They still look really bad for a while, and the discriminator will learn the real birds from fake birds much faster then the generator will learn to produce them until eventually the generator, the idea is the generator will catch up and produce birds that are so good, the discriminator can't learn to distinguish the real ones from the fake ones. And then you have a model that can generate pictures of birds. That's a really good introduction. Thanks. So how do you... So can you go a little bit more into depth about how this is different from a normal neural network? Is there any sort of special techniques you use or something like that? Um, okay, so I guess the, the biggest difference between uh, GAN and a normal neural network uh, is that you've got the two components. Um, and so your uh, your discriminator 
is 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 really just sort of a basic classifier, um, and in most cases it's it's a binary classifier. So you've got um, whatever data coming in, and then it figures out yes, no, is it real, uh, and then that's that's pretty much exactly the same as you'd see um, in a in a normal neural network. But then uh, the main sort of structural difference is that now you've got the second one, uh, the generator, um, which you have to, so first that's kind of different from other networks because what you want is to design something so that the sort of, it, 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 the shape of the data coming out is what you want. So that, you know, if you want pictures of birds, for instance, you're not going to have a classification vector. Uh, you're going to have so maybe the input might be how how the features of the bird that would be a, a vector going in or something and then the output would be actually the whole image that the thing creates um, and then what you have to do is set up the loss functions of those uh, two neural networks so that they're um, when the one's doing well the other's doing poorly so you take the loss of the um, of the discriminator and if it's doing well you have to invert that and then you give that to as the loss to the uh, generator and then so you do uh, whatever your optimization algorithm gradient descent or that on the inverse of that loss and so uh, you'll the, they're inherently set up to try to beat each other. So you were talking about the inputs to the generator being the features of the bird. How do you actually encode that in your training data? Do you have to label all of your images as being a bird with certain features, or is this something that's learned uh, as the network just trains on its own? Um, so that's sort of, uh, that's a good question. And, uh, I think that can be sort of um, up to interpretation by the data scientist. Um, I think probably the the most simple method uh, is to have all of the birds labeled with their different features. And so if you want a specific kind of bird, you can tweak those features uh, and get what you want. However, simple isn't always the same as easy. So it, uh, it, it's a it's a much simpler solution, you know, to making that program, but it might be hard to get a data set where all the birds are labeled in the right way. Uh, and so, uh, if, if that's not what you have, then maybe you'll have to settle for less features, uh, maybe even no features at all. You just want call birds and that's it. Uh, or you could figure out some sort of reinforcement learning solution, uh, where you, you know, you basically get, some groups of birds, but you tell the machine to find that out. But that's that's sort of non-standard, I think. Okay, so I assume that when you train again, you have to have some kind of, well, yeah, you have to have some kind of pre-labeled data set. How do you incorporate that into the training process? Do you pre-train the discriminator with uh, the existing labeled set? Or, and additionally, once you generate some images from the generator, which will initially just be noise, how is that managed? Do you generate a, a set of a predefined size for each 
a generator model and then use that to train uh, the discriminator? Um, sorry, can you just explain the last part of what you said again? Sorry. Okay, let me let me restate that. So how is the existing labeled set incorporated into the training process? Is it, um, are, are the, are the discriminator and generator actually trained at the same time? Or will you, will you have, um, something like the generator used to create a, um, a set of a certain size and then the discriminator is trained and then that's used to retrain the generator? Ah, uh, um, Okay, so I mean, you know, there are all sorts of different ways of setting it up, but sort of the the most basic fundamental way is to have them training at the exact same time. So you'll have pretty much a blank generator and a blank discriminator, and then you tell the generator to generate one image. You take another from your data set, and you do uh, two passes on your um, on your discriminator. You say this one's real, and then you update the uh, network accordingly. And they say this one's fake, and then you update it accordingly again. Um, and then, okay, so then there are, of course, things. two things come to mind uh, for adding on that. One is that you, if you already have uh, something useful for a discriminator um, for, for whatever purpose you're doing, you could maybe try to use transfer learning on the discriminator uh, to try to uh, get it to start off better. Um, yeah, you wouldn't want it to start off too good so that your generator can't learn. But uh, if you sort of give it an advantage, then you might uh, push your generator to become even better. And then the other thing is, uh, realistically, we usually don't train things one at a time. We usually use um, uh, gradient descent in batches instead of uh, completely one data point by one data point. Uh, so, yeah, in that situation, you would have some sort of grouping of the real images and the fake images, and you feed in a whole batch and use the average loss or whatever, however you're doing it to um, update the network. Uh, but then those are sort of more uh, extra things that, you know, that they help in practice but in theory, they're, they're not necessarily part of the GAN scheme. That makes sense. So before you tell us about your specific project, would you mind um, naming a few different places where GANs have been applied or are commonly applied? Um, yeah, sure. So generative models are used in a lot of places. Uh, I've, the, I think the sort of the the one that's most popular in the media I found is typically generating faces. So uh, people have made GANs now that are very good at um, doing uh, generating the faces of not real people, but faces that look very lifelike. And if you're if you don't know what you're looking for, or even if you do know what you're looking for, uh, it's increasingly hard to tell the difference. Uh, over just a couple of years, uh, we've made a ton of progress. And in fact, you know, some some of the news sources are saying we've made too much progress. That they're warning that people won't be able to tell what's real and what's fake anymore. Um, but so yeah, that's that's one of the major areas. Uh, there's also uh, some other 
areas that you use GANs, for instance, in generating uh, speech. So for instance, uh, text-to-speech, you could generate a voice that's not real, and that's very nice because then you don't have to record a thousand clips of somebody saying something. Uh, however, you would, of course, have to get some voice clips anyway for the training data set, but that's it, it, in various areas, having a computer-generated voice is useful. Um, and I think getting, getting closer to what I'm doing, uh, one area that GANs are used in is style transfer. So uh, this is uh, an example that's, uh, it, it, it uses something that's typically a modified GAN structure. So you don't have the most basic form of one discriminator, one generator. You might have something a little more complicated, and I guess I'll get into that a bit later, but the goal is, uh, for instance, instead of t taking whatever data, generating an image out of basically nothing or maybe a feature vector, and uh, generating an image based on that, you start with an image, and then you change it in some way to produce another image. Uh, and if you want the changes to occur in a certain pattern, for instance, taking real-life images and making them look like they were painted by uh, Monet, that is a style transfer problem. And I haven't seen it in the news so much, but I think it's very interesting. Yeah, I saw at um, NVIDIA GTC, there was actually a, uh, a really wonderful painting that they had on display, and it had been done entirely by a GAN. But, uh... I certainly wouldn't have been able to tell that it wasn't painted by a human. So you'd and, make a bad discriminator. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. I uh, yeah, it does bring back a lot of ethical concerns, like whether it's even okay to misrepresent things. Like, yeah, that's true. It goes off our topic, but GANs can be used very easily create fake content and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not an expert on that you know I'm sort of half excited by that and half scared <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know if you want an opinion I, I don't really have one except that you know it's cool and also let, let's be careful um, yeah well I'm sure you've seen the videos that have the like the um, you know political figures saying all kinds of things that they didn't say, but it was generated yeah. by again. Yeah, so, I've seen those. They're crazy. Yeah, it is kind of scary. Um, also, your point about uh, text reminded me, um, Anish, you mentioned at one point uh, the GPT-2 model created by DeepMind, which was yeah. being used to generate news reports and stuff. Yeah, it was done by OpenAI, actually. Oh, sorry. But Yeah, they had a... Uh, model that could generate text and then there was a lot of controversy over whether they should release it or not yeah i mean there's there's definitely a lot of controversial stuff going on with cans um kind of unfortunately because it i don't know it gives it a bit of a bad rap i mean i can also point out examples of like generative models that you know people have fed uh, a gan or some other kind of similar generative model the entire text of a bunch of books or something and then they've 
used it to try to sort of to, to, to sort of turn somebody else's writing into that writing or to just generate text that imitates that author or that whatever list of books and the results are usually not scary at all in fact they can often be pretty funny so i mean gets gets are all bad that's what i'm trying to say uh that yeah. brings up an interesting point about gans and if uh eventually when they become that powerful they could gen- they could replace humans in a lot of factors don't you think i mean yes i also you know that's i think that's sort of been uh one of the central discussions in ai and more broadly tech and automation over the last century at least um you know with increased automation it also leads to sort of people's jobs getting displaced and i wish i knew more about this than i do so i mean i i okay my opinion on it is that we should do the research and try to get these things developed and then it's sort of a separate question whether or not we actually use them uh but yeah that's sort of a question for very uh much more skilled ethicists than me uh unfortunately yeah that's fair so uh i i guess would you um would you mind telling us a bit about your project now how uh, how you've applied gans so my project uh was to uh, i started by trying to break something called speaker verification uh where if you've got Alice Bob and Carol for instance you want to take a a voice clip that you're you're told is from Bob and make sure it's not from either Alice or Carol uh and it's pretty closely related to a, a similar problem called speaker recognition where you're given a piece of some clip of voice again but you're not sure who it belongs to and you try to assign it Alice Bob or Carol correctly. Uh and so this is a similar problem but it's more sort of security oriented. So um the models are more specific and they're they're trained on one person versus everybody else or that's the idea if you can get that specific so that uh people don't get into a uh secure system. Uh that's the typical application. And so what I wanted to do was try to break those systems using GANs. Uh so what I did, I took a d- big data set of a lot of different people's voices and I I couldn't find a sort of state of the art model to do speaker verification on that. So I sort of had to make my own, but I I did find the rough sort of parameters that the state of the art would use so I tried to replicate that as accurately as possible and then I uh tried to make a a gan system it wasn't a typical gan it was sort of doing style transfer that I talked about earlier um to try to turn other people's voices uh, to to turn a, a person's voice who wasn't supposed to be let into this secure system to try to transform it in some way using the gan so that they would be 
let in to the secure system so that I would essentially fool the speaker verification system that I just trained. Um, and I, long story short, I was able to do that. And then the second component of my project was, you know, now there's this security vulnerability. How can I help address this? And so I showed that if you make the speaker verification model in certain ways, then you won't have this problem. It'll be much harder to fool it using faked voice clips. Uh, I didn't show that it's impossible, but it's harder to do using the method that I used. So you used, if I understand correctly, you used, after training the GAN, you used the discriminator and found that that was more robust against forgeries than existing methods? Um, yeah. So the, the discriminator against the GANs was, um, it was, uh, it, so, okay, it's, it, it gets a little bit more complicated when you're sort of talking about the generator or the discriminator. Um, I actually used a setup with four different uh, neural networks. So there were two generators, uh, and the goal for that was to turn, uh, create a sort of cycle where you turn Alice's voice into Bob's and Bob's voice into Alice. And so each of the discriminators did one of the directions. And then on both of those, there would be a discriminator checking, you know, Alice's voice and checking Bob's voice. And there would be uh, this, this final one, which that was sort of an auxiliary uh, check to make sure that the speech wasn't getting distorted. So it, it was sort of speech to text model um, and the, uh, the goal there was to, given a piece of voice, make sure that the, the text is still the same. So they would start by saying Apple, and you make sure when it goes through the GAN, it sounds like somebody else, but they're still saying Apple, and that's what that last network was for. Um, and so when I used that combination and trained it, I found that the discriminators that I'd been using the, the ones checking uh, Alice and Bob's voice, uh, they were better at doing so than uh, an equivalent model that hadn't been trained using the GAN, and so it had only been trained on the real stuff, and that was pretty easily fooled by the fake data. Um, and so, you know, doing that was kind of lopsided because you, had, you have the, the generator figuring out how to make the fakes, but you didn't have the um, the uh, the well. It wasn't a discriminator really. It was just a normal speaker verification model. Because it wasn't set up as a discriminator, it couldn't learn from those fakes, and that is uh, the the situation for many of the real world models where they haven't been trained using the GAN. And so I showed that if you do set up the model in this certain way and you train it with a bunch of GANs then you'll get uh, a much better result. Interesting. So your text-to-speech model, was that, did you train that as part of the GAN, or was that, were you using a pre-trained model of some kind for that? Yeah, so I, I actually, I didn't need it to be too complex, so I just trained my own. Um, I wanted it to 
be specific to the stuff that I was using. And uh, also, it, uh, it was, instead of supposed to be sort of a general speech text, it was in, uh, more, it, it was trained on those specific voices uh, and those pieces of text. So it might not have been good as a general speech to text model, but it was more forgiving so that you know you you didn't have to have completely convincing uh, voices. You only had to have it roughly imitate the same stuff. Um, and so uh, because of that, you could have the you, it it didn't require you to fool another human. Let's put it that way. Uh, I only required it to fool the model that was uh, protecting the security system. And so, because of that, I didn't need the uh, okay. security quality speech-to-text model. I only needed something that would uh, fool the computer. So I, I guess that leads to the question, did you try listening to the audio that it generated, and did it fool you? Um, I tried to listen to it. It mostly i'll admit it it's to a human it mostly sounded like garbage so uh even though it was the same sort of wave shapes you know whatever produces whatever constitutes a word uh it was it didn't sound like a normal voice at all but that wasn't really the goal the goal was to break the secure system also i wasn't able to really accurately recreate this stuff since um, the security system that I used, the, the speaker verification that I set up was analyzing spectrograms of the voice. And so you have to do the, the Fourier transform on that. Um, and then you, it's, it's a really hard problem to take the spectrogram, which is given out by the scan and turn it back into a voice that you can listen to. Um, so it, it might have been a lot more convincing than what I listened to. It wasn't a, I, my, what I got was a very rough approximation. That actually kind of makes sense because you weren't, it wasn't really a conventional generative model. Like you said, you're trying to play to the weaknesses of the, the, the discriminator that is the speech recognition system. So your model may or may not have necessarily been doing human uh like audio for a human yeah it, exactly it may have been just playing to the weaknesses of the uh discriminator model yeah that that was that was my that was my goal um and you know it would have been a nice demonstration had i actually been able to listen to the voice as well but uh, that that wasn't the priority with that experiment so what could be some future uses of GANs? What do we think are, is the future of GANs and the future of generative models in general? Uh, that's a really good question. So first, uh, in, in the most sort of narrow sense with respect to my own project, uh, I think the immediate applications to security are pretty clear that, you know, this should be, I, I'm not sure what the, stuff that companies are using because they wouldn't tell me, of course. Uh, but if 
companies aren't using this to make their own security systems, then they really should be because this is a pretty easy way that somebody could break their systems. Uh, then more, more generally about uh, generative models, uh, I would say, um, so there's a lot of progress being made um, in, that, in that field. Uh, one of the things, style transfer is, no, style transfer isn't useful. One of the more positive aspects of GANs is that they can replace a lot of tedious work that people have to do. So uh, if you want a GAN to be able to write simple sentences about a, a topic or to generate a lot of images that are roughly similar to another image or any, any basic task that somebody might have had to do manually. Uh, we can automate that using GANs. Uh, any sort of data generation task is much easier. Uh, the, the other side of that is that you, you get these situations where that was somebody's job and now it's, uh, it's gone because the GAN can do it a thousand times faster and for free. Um, so that's sort of good and bad. It, it's, it's definitely an area where we have to be careful about how we introduce technology like that uh, and make sure that we're not harming people more than we're helping. But I think overall, that's definitely a net positive. Um, and then you've mentioned the uh, problems with, again, faking uh, like politicians and other such people. Uh, they saying making videos and audio of them saying something that they didn't actually say. And so that's obviously something scary. But if you think about the other side of that, that means uh, making uh, it's it might be much easier to animate something if you use a GAN to generate a character and you animate them uh, doing whatever activities they're doing, you generate their voice, then that could all come from a GAN much faster than the traditional ways of building the model. And uh, if, if you didn't have a voice actor, then you'd have to use a much more a, a potentially slower or a less lifelike voice to generate whatever animation you were producing. So uh, that's that's a field where I think GANs can really do a lot of good. Well, um, okay. Do you have any? Do you, do you have anything else that you'd like to say um, before the end of the episode? I I think that's about it. Um, thanks so much for having me. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks that was great. On.